he said in John chapter 10 at verse 27, the Bible says this. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I want to preach and teach to you from a sermon titled, Whose Voice Are You Following? Whose voice are you following? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to come and to hear from you and to hear your voice. Uh, Lord, just like I alluded to a moment ago, uh, please, please, please allow us uh, to hear from you, uh, for you to speak directly into our hearts and to change our lives as a result. Uh, Lord, please impress upon us uh, that we need to give you our focus rather than anything else that is going on in the world. Uh, Lord, we pray for each and every person that is here that they would be blessed by the hearing of your word and would be faithful to follow it. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so back to our opening verse um, in John chapter 10. This is Jesus speaking, and Jesus is, uh, Jesus is talking about himself when he, is, um, uh, when he speaks these words. Prior to this, uh, Jesus was sort of explaining uh, the relationship between the good shepherd, the gatekeeper, and the sheep, okay? Uh, so I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of that backdrop before we kind of move forward into this verse. And Jesus describes uh, the, the, this scene where uh, the gatekeeper opens the gate and allows the sheep herder to come into uh, the area where the sheep are, okay? And... You know, it's interesting because Jesus, when we read the Bible, Jesus is described as both the gate and the good shepherd, okay? So, you know, as, he's, as he is making these statements, okay, it's important for us to understand that Jesus has a, a very close and intimate relationship with the sheep, and, and we are described as his sheep, right? So... Coming to the verse here, it says, my sheep listen to my voice, semicolon. So we're going to pause at the punctuation, right? Um, and when we look at this phrase, my sheep listen to my voice. Um, I've told you before that, you know, when we find this word, this word listen, okay, listening basically sets up this framework where we have to do more than just hear, okay? Hearing is just the reception of sound by our ears and then feeding that sound to our brains so that we know that there is sound. That's hearing, okay? But when we listen, we are intentional. We have to be intentional about understanding what we're hearing, okay? And more so than that, we need, to be, we need to have a certain humility in order to listen, in order to understand what's being said to us, okay? Because here's the reality. You know, and I, I've said this before to many different groups of people. 
you know, you can have the greatest teacher in the world with the greatest information in the world, but if all you ever do is hear that information and do nothing with it, it benefits you not. Okay? So I am asking you to listen to what God has said to us, okay, and then to turn around and do something with what you understand to be true from God's word. Okay? So back to this. He says, my sheep listen, meaning they humble themselves to the teaching that I am trying to instruct them with, okay? They listen to my voice, okay? And we've often talked about, you know, how do we know, you know, what the, the voice of God is and how, how do we know what God's will is? Well, this book plainly gives us what God is saying, okay, if we allow ourselves to listen rather than just hear. Because here's the reality. There are many different Bible scholars throughout the world that can quote from you scripture uh, from front to back in that book, but they are no closer to God than I am to you right now. Okay? So our ability to hear from God, to hear his voice, and to listen intently and humbly to what he has to say to us is imperative. It is necessary. Okay? So, coming back to the verse, it says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Now, I don't want to kind of just gloss over this, um, but from a grammatical standpoint, when we see a semicolon, a semicolon usually is there for a very specific reason because it, it's there to link two ideas together and show relationship between the two, okay? So it shows relationship in this particular sentence between the first half of the sentence and the back half of the sentence, okay? So here's what I need you to see. Our ability to humble ourselves and to listen to the voice of God allows us to do the most important thing which is to follow him, okay? And the reality is that our lives can be so greatly impacted by our ability, or excuse me, by our willingness to follow God, but it starts with listening. And it starts with listening to God's voice with the intent of receiving the instruction that he's trying to give us. Because thing is, God is always speaking, but we're not always listening. Okay? So, you know, I, I say all that to, to sort of give us this backdrop um, because today I want to uh, go a little bit further into uh, this particular topic. And I want to do it... Um, you know, giving this sort of as the, the overarching uh, theme, okay? Uh, because the reality is that we don't always listen to God's voice. And sometimes we follow voices that are not God's at all. We follow voices of those that contradict what God has to say, Okay? And that's where we usually have the most trouble in our lives. So, um, let us, uh, I'm going to show you a couple different examples of this, 
okay? Uh, and I'm going to show you this, um, and hopefully you'll be able to get this, um, you know, with uh, uh, the understanding that God wants us to have it with, okay? Uh, so let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, this is a familiar story. This is right after creation. Uh, this is God speaking. Excuse me. This is God speaking to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Okay. And the Bible says this. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend over and watch it. Okay. Then uh, the next verse, it says, but the Lord God warned him. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Let's pause there for a second. So God places Adam in the Garden of Eden, and uh, he gives him instructions at this time. He tells him that he needs to tend the garden, okay, uh, which, I mean, I, I could easily preach another two hours on the importance of God ha having told us to work for a living, okay? But I'm not going to do that. So here's what I'm going to tell you, though. Uh, God gave Adam very specific instructions, all right? And he gave them this, these instructions uh, to create a boundary, okay? And when we have boundaries in life, they are set up to protect us. Like, if you are driving down the road and you see guardrails going around a corner, they're to prevent you from driving off the road, okay? That is a boundary that we don't want to cross because you can get hurt, okay? Uh, we have speed limits, okay, that are posted on roads that tell us how fast that we should safely be driving, okay? Now, for some people, these are optional. Just kidding. <laughs> Amen? Okay. Uh, just wanted to see if y'all was awake. Uh, so <laughs> here's the thing. Um, you know, we have all these boundaries in the physical realm that are there to get us to take heed, to warn us of impending danger should we break those boundaries. Okay? This is a boundary that was given to Adam by God. All right? And he told him that Adam could eat from every single tree in the garden except the one that was right in the middle, and it was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he told Adam at that time that if he were to eat of it, that he would die. Now, here's where things get interesting. Because up to that point in time, sin had not entered into the world. So there was no such thing as death or decay. So my thing is when he told Adam this, Adam could not have truly or fully understood what that meant, what it meant to die, okay? And at that time, you know, the, uh, um, the Bible doesn't give us any indication as to whether or not there was any further explanation into it, but it just tells us that he told him. Listen, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Okay? So, Adam had this instruction. But now let's move forward. Uh, because now, 
uh, in chapter 3, uh, we see things go off the rails. Okay? So, in chapter 3, um, starting at verse 1, the Bible says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the animals, all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Let's pause there. So, here's what's interesting about this. Um, the serpent, uh, who at this point was possessed by the devil, okay, he comes to Eve and he asks a question. And he asks this question, did God really say you must not eat f- the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, Here's what's interesting about this. He didn't ask which tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. Okay. He posed this question intentionally, um, and it's what we call a pattern interrupt. Um, In the marketing world and sales world, um, they teach salespeople uh, to – they teach salespeople to ask questions that sort of shake people up, that take them out of their sort of normal routines. And this is that type of question because God had actually told Adam that they could eat from every tree except the one. But now watch how this question is phrased. It says, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? Okay, so... The, the devil, he flipped the question, okay, and he flipped the question in order to wake her up, but he did so because he was trying to figure out what she actually knew about what God had said. Because watch this. If we go to the next verse, verse 2, she replies to him. She says, of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. Verse 3. It's only from the fruit, from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. Now, if she would have stopped right here, she would have been fine. But she didn't. And this is what she said. God said, now she's quoting God or trying to quote God. And it says that, well, she says, God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. So she says, you must not eat it or even touch it. Go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, please. This is what God actually said. He said, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Go back to what she said in verse 3. When she quotes God, she says, you must not eat it. And then she adds this phrase, or even touch it. And at that point, that very moment, the devil knew he had her. He knew that she did not know exactly what God had said because she paraphrased and then she added to what God had said. 
And this is why it's so important for us to know what God has said, because if we don't, we can easily follow the voices of those who contradict God. You must not eat it or even touch it. He knew he had her. So then verse 4, the devil comes after her now. And he says, you won't die. He contradicts God more. Okay? Verse 5. Then he leans into her. And he gives a little bit of lie with a lot of truth when he says this. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, was what he said incorrect? No. He was spot on. Her eyes would be open, okay? Uh, we come to find out shortly thereafter that as soon as their eyes were open, they were uh, aware of their own nakedness in the garden, Okay? Uh, and then, you know, they would go on to hide from God as God is coming to seek them in the garden. Okay? Um, so, you know, they hid out of shame, but they also hid because they knew they were wrong. They disobeyed God. So they knew, just like it says here, they knew the good and evil that had been done. Okay? So, moving to verse 6. Bible says the woman was convinced. See how fast that took to convince her? She was convinced. Right? And here's the thing. So it says she was convinced. And then it gives us this next part here, this next sentence out of this verse, uh, which is so key. Because this next statement shows the ways in which we all fall to temptation. The devil has three ways in which he primarily looks to tempt us. Most of those ways, or, or most of the temptation that you will face is somehow comes back to these three ways. Somehow is derived from these three tactics. Okay? It says here, she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. And here's the thing. I think it's in 1 John chapter 2. Um, you know, the Bible talks about how uh, we, are, uh, we are tempted by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride in our own accomplish, uh, pride in our own uh, possessions and accomplishments, and in some versions of it, it says the pride of life. Okay, and here's what it says here: She saw that the tree was beautiful, lust of the eyes. Its fruit looked delicious, lust of the flesh, the things that we crave physically. She wanted it 
to, she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Pride. I want to be as wise as God. I want to know the things that he knows. I want to know the difference between good and evil. Okay? He got her on all three accounts. All three tactics she fell for. Because she looked and she lusted with her eyes. She understood that it could meet a physical craving that she had. And she wanted what God had. Okay? Instead of trusting God at his word that they would surely die. Okay? And then it goes on to say, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some of, uh, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. So Eve made a determination based on showing, she demonstrated that she didn't fully understand what God had said, but Adam, Adam was the person who was given these instructions face to face, and Adam should have known better, and Adam should have stepped in and intervened and said, oh, no, no, whoa, whoa, hold up, no, 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 I know exactly what God said because he told me, you come ask me that question, okay, and this is the, this is a reality, like, you know, we need to protect our families with the truth of God because that is the only thing that we can do to save our family from the wolves in the world, okay? Adam did not do this at that time. Why? Because he fell for the same temptation that she did. But the Bible says that we have these stories uh, so that we can understand what God wants us to do through the lives of other people. And they are there for our examples. Okay. And we need to learn from this example. When people come and they say things about you and your family, you need to step in and you need to amend what they're saying with the truth and be like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. let's back up. Let's get on the page of truth here. Okay. That is not what God said, okay? And this is what he should have told the serpent. He should have told him, no, 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 that's not what God said. God said that we should not eat from this one tree, that we could eat from every tree because God is an abundant provider, okay? That's what he should have said. But notice that he was silent. He was silent, and he was complicit, okay? So, we need to take heed to this because if we don't know what God has said, we can very easily fall for the deception that comes from others. Okay? Uh, and it's just kind of came to mind. Uh, I think it's Psalm 1.1. It says, blessed are those who walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And for sure, any time that you have someone that contradicts what God has said, they are proving themselves to be ungodly, even if it's just in that moment. They can be the godliest person. They, uh, 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 they can be the godliest person, get up, read their Bible every day, um, 
They can pray. They can preach, teach, do whatever. But if they step outside of the framework of what God has said, they're giving you ungodly counsel. And we are not to walk in it. Amen? So, the main thing we need to take away is that we do not need to take counsel from anyone who contradicts God's word. Okay? Uh, we see this again um, when we go to Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter 10 uh, at verse 4. And it tells us how to deal with those who oppose God with the things that they say. Okay? It says here, we use God's mighty weapons, comma, and we'll pause there for a second, because God's mighty weapons, that, that may not mean much to the average listener, okay? Uh, but when we talk about God's mighty weapons, it actually alludes to the armor of God. When you go and you read in um, uh, Ephesians, okay, uh, it tells us about the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, I believe, uh, verses 17 through, ah, don't quote me on that. But, yes, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Um, but. Here's the thing. It tells us that we need to use God's mighty weapons, okay? The most powerful weapon that we have is that book right there, is the word of God, okay? Why? Because it is solely built on the truth, and there is nothing more powerful than the truth, okay? So it says we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. And here's the deal, okay? This statement is, uh, it's applied to when we are hearing human reasoning and false arguments that come from other people, okay? But now if we go to, the, to verse 5, it goes even more into this, and it says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So we certainly can debunk every single lie with the truth, but only in so much as we know it. You can't possibly know how to go to someone who, is, who claims to be an atheist uh, and debunk the things that they have to say. Oh, well, you can't prove God exists. Well, guess what? You can't prove that he doesn't exist. Okay? Like, you can't give a snapback like that without knowing and understanding the truth. Okay, um, you know, and the tough part about this is, I guess we look at this and we look at the second part of this verse. It says, we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And, you know, when people are being attacked, okay, uh, it's very easy for people to move into a defensive position when you know that you're being tacked 
from some external force. So like if I were to go up to Jimmy right now and I were to rear back and to hit him, okay, he would most certainly coil up and try to defend himself somehow, okay? But here's the reality. There are times when the contradictory thoughts, when those rebellious thoughts are not just from other people, there are times when those come from us. Okay? There are times when we are the ones having the rebellious thoughts. We are the ones that have the faulty reasoning. We are the ones that raise up false arguments in our own minds. So it's not just about the enemy that comes to attack us externally. It's about the enemy from within that comes to attack us. And here's the thing. Internal voices are much more subtle. Internal voices... Internal voices can be so, so subtle, so sadistic, so demonic, if you will. Because here's the thing. The one voice that you hear more than any other voice over the course of a 24-hour period is yours. It's your own voice. Okay? And here's the deal. I'll give you an example. Uh, how many of y'all been, you know, sitting in the car listening to the radio and you hear a song come on and you don't even have to hear but like half of a verse and you're already singing the song, okay? And, you know, it doesn't matter what the song is. It, it could be a jingle from uh, a radio advertisement. It could be a song that you've heard um, you know, since you were five years old, um, you know, like if I, if I started singing right now, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, every person in this room would know that song, okay? And when you go and sing it and you sing it verbally, okay, not only are you singing it verbally, but you're also thinking it mentally. So you are speaking it out into existence. You are reaffirming it to yourself. And since it's in your own voice, you are more likely to believe it. And that's the problem. That is the problem when you have faulty arguments, when you have faulty reasoning, when you have uh, rebellious thoughts that take you away from and contradict what God has already said. Okay? Because when you take those thoughts and you feed them to yourself, you are more likely to believe them and you are less likely to defend yourself against them. Sorry to say amen. Like, that's me too. Okay? <laughs> I was joking with Rick this morning. Uh, and, uh, you know, he comes to me, he says, uh, how many pages of notes is that? Is that, is that 10 or 11? I said, well, listen, uh, if you would have known how much I studied over the course of this week and how much I wrote notes on, like, I can go back and I can show you. 
uh, because um, typically when I teach or preach, I will pull together many different um, verses of scripture, um, some, you know, thicker versions uh, or thicker sections of scripture, I should say, uh, and some sort of more one-liners. But um, typically when I do that, I have to trim some of what's there um, because it either does not, uh, uh, it doesn't allow me to make the point in a timely manner or uh, it just, it just doesn't create a, a fluidity uh, to make it easier to learn and digest. Um, so today, uh, for this particular sermon, I probably, no, I know for a fact, I cut out half of what would have been in these notes today. I only have three pages of notes. We should have had, well, we would have had six if I'd have left everything in there. And the reality is that uh, I had to make some hard choices as to what was truly relevant to what we were talking about this morning and stuff that was just in my heart, you know, that God was speaking to me with, okay? Um, but, you know, uh, rest assured, you are getting the most potent version of this that you can. So, you know, I, I, I say all that about uh, the internal voices because... The reality is that we live in a day and a time where not only here in America, but globally, the rates of depression and anxiety, they're up, okay? I read, uh, I read somewhere that there was a study done uh, back in 2021 that showed that it was up four times, four times the amount. And let me just give you a figure. If, if the population of the world is sitting somewhere at about seven and a half billion people and we took even 10% of that 10% of that okay and then we gave it a four times that amount we would I would venture a guess and say that we would be somewhere close to about 60 or 70% of the entire world that was feeling the effects of depression and anxiety. And that's just me throwing some, some round numbers out there, okay? Um, you know, just, just to give you a little bit of perspective on this. Um, and the tough part is that depression and anxiety, they are rooted in the things that happen to us and how we respond to them first mentally, okay? what we think about those things and how much, uh, how much we tend to focus on them, how much we tend to dwell on them, okay? So the Bible, um, the Bible teaches us, uh, and I, I, I think it does a, an extremely good job uh, at pointing out the fact that you know, there are going to be situations, there are going to be scenarios there uh, that are going to try us, that are going to give us what they call trials and tribulations, okay? And it's very easy if we were to just focus on, you know, what's going on with us, it's very easy to get depressed, it's very easy to become anxious, okay? And 
if we allow ourselves to keep the focus on those problems rather than keep the focus on the solution to those problems, then we will never make any sort of headway with it. Okay? As believers, we understand that the solution is God. Okay? As believers, we understand that, you know, Jesus came and he said that apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? You know, and, and, and <laughs> the funny thing is, like, you hear these people talk about them, them being, like, self-made men or self-made women. Uh, and there could not be anything further from the truth. Name one person that creates their own oxygen that they breathe from on average 18 breaths per minute. Name one person who thinks about making their heart beat 60 to 80 beats per minute. Name one person who can avoid getting sick just by thinking it. Can you name one? No. Not a single person. Okay? Name one person who, if it was not for the grace of God, didn't have someone to take care of them when they were born, did not have someone to feed them, didn't have food to eat, okay? Didn't have water to drink. Name one person who can fully and utterly sustain themselves without any effort from any outside influence. If you can name one, please let me know. Because I can assure you from reading this book, outside of God, they don't exist. They don't. Okay? And the reality is that it's just as Jesus said. Apart from him, we can do nothing. He is not only the creator, but the sustainer of all things. Okay? Uh, my kids, uh, they're, they're, taking, um, they're taking earth science right now. And one of the things that they're, they're looking at is atoms and molecules. And, you know, I, I told them, I was like, look, you know, the, the fact is, like, if you were to look at how an atom is designed and you were to look at how small the individual parts are, and you look at the, uh, the neutrons, the protons, the electrons, all of that stuff that makes up an atom uh, of any element, okay, what you would see is that there is more space in between those atoms than there is anything that's touching within the atom, okay? And, you know, you think about that, and it's like, well, how is it that we don't just totally disintegrate? How is it that this can be made solid that I cannot push through it? Okay. Don't worry. I'll wipe it up later. Uh, <laughs> uh, how is it that we can have this physical presence, okay, and not just completely fall apart? It's because God holds us together. God holds this universe together and everything in it. Because everything in it is composed of matter. Everything that has matter to it is composed of elements. All these elements have atoms to them, and all those atoms are flying apart if they are not held together. God holds us together. Okay? So nothing that we do can sustain us. 
And we need to be humble enough to accept that fact and to understand that if we are going to walk through life with the right perspective, we need to understand that it's only by the grace of God that we even exist right here, right now. So back to, uh, back to those that are anxious and uh, those that are depressed. Um, ultimately, the root of the issues comes back down to the perception that they have or the focus that they have onto the problem. And when we read inside of uh, Philippians chapter 4, we find the answer to this. All right. So Philippians 4, or yeah, Philippians 4, starting at verse 6, the Bible says, don't worry about anything. Semicolon. There we go with that semicolon. So I told you before, the semicolon is there to link two ideas together, okay, that have a relation somehow, okay? So let's see what the relation is. Because it says right after that, it says, don't worry about anything, semicolon, instead pray about everything, right? So we are trading one for the other. We are trading in our worries. We are casting our worries upon him, like the Bible tells us, and we are praying about everything, not just some things, but everything we ought to be praying about, okay? We ought to pray about good health and bad health issues. We ought to pray about family issues that uh, we have, and we ought to pray about, you know, being blessed with uh, having great relationships in our family. We ought to pray about uh, our, our financial status and, you know, God uh, blessing us with what we have, and we ought to pray about the needs that we have as well, okay? Because the reality is that everything in our lives is important to God. And it's not that he doesn't know what we worry about, it's not that he doesn't know what we need. It is that he wants us to understand what we worry about and give it to him anyway. It's that he wants us to know about the things that we need. He wants us to affirm those things so that we are in a position to be blessed because now we're humbling ourselves to do what he has told us to do, which is to not worry about anything and to pray about everything. The next part of it says, to tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Again, this is not to give God any new information. God is all-knowing, so like, you can't tell him anything he doesn't know already. So he knows your need. He's just, he's, he's there waiting. He's, he's like, okay, I'm going to just wait on Keon to get here because I know what he needs. I know he needs to be blessed. 
but he hasn't come and prayed about it yet. Okay. It's not to say that God is unwilling to meet us there because it says in the Bible that, you know, if we, uh, if we approach him, if we come near to him, he would come near to us. But notice that we have to do the first part. We have to come to him, okay? And we should be coming to him in prayer for everything, not just the things that we need, but the things that are on our heart, okay? Verse 7, it says, Then, after you've done all this other stuff, after you've given your worries to God and prayed, all right, told God what you need and thanked him for all that he's done, it says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. I believe it is Isaiah chapter 26 where... The prophet Isaiah uh, is talking to God, and he says to God, you will keep all those in perfect peace who trust in you and keep their thoughts fixed on you. And here's the thing. When God says it's perfect, it can't get any better than that. There's no possible way for it to get better than that. Perfect in God's eyes is absolutely, unabashedly, unashamedly perfect. And there is nothing you can do to make it better. But, we have to do the two things that he says we need to do in order to take hold of that promise of the perfect peace, which is to trust him and to fix our thoughts on him. When you do that, that describes this process right here that we see going on in uh, uh, verses 6 and 7. We are taking our worries, we're casting them upon him we are praying about the things that we need and we're thanking him for the things that we've done so that we have that heart of gratitude and we are focusing and fixing our thoughts on him and we are trusting that he's going to work things out right and then it says this his peace remember his perfect peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Listen, the thoughts that we have, the thoughts that others have about us, the attacks from the enemy, the temptation that comes from the enemy, the temptation that comes from within our own hearts, all of these things that contradict what God has said, all of these things 
can only be put to the side if our hearts are being guarded, okay? Proverbs 4.23, it's not in there, don't bother looking. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard our hearts above all else because from it flow the issues of life. When we are not intentional about guarding our hearts, when we are not intentional about seizing God's peace, when we are not intentional about praying about everything, when we are not intentional about listening to God's voice rather than the voices of those who dissent, that peace that he promises us is traded in for chaos. It's traded in for anxiety. It's traded for depression. It's traded for fear. It's traded for all the things that we would never want in our right minds. But how often do we do that? How often do we neglect prayer? How often do we dwell on and focus on the things that draw us further away from God because we're more focused on the size of the problem than we are the size of the solution? And if our solution is God, God is immeasurable in his power. God is immeasurable in his presence. God is immeasurable in his knowledge. Why are we not putting our trust in him, seeking him in prayer, and in finding peace, the perfect peace that will guard our hearts and minds as we stay focused on and keep our thoughts fixed on him. Let's move to verse 8. The Bible says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. It says, fix your thoughts on what is true. Again, it's hard for us to fix our thoughts on the truth when we don't know what the truth is. When we don't know what God has said, it's hard for us to fix our thoughts on something that we don't know exists. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Notice the verse before talked about how his peace will guard our hearts as we live in Christ Jesus. All of these things are characteristics of Christ Jesus. All of these are attributes of God. Okay? And it says, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I believe God has shown himself to be excellent and far more worthy of praise that we give him. In 
notice again, it tells us to fix our thoughts on these things. Why? Because we often operate from a broken mindset. Therefore, we need to fix our thoughts on those things. So there's two big takeaways that I want us to kind of glean this morning um, as we get ready to close. As believers, we need to be intentional about knowing what God's word says. We need to be intentional about knowing what God's word says because the reality is that it's very easy to follow different voices other than the ones, or excuse me, other than God's voice if we don't know what God has said. Very easy, okay? Uh, Eve was deceived very easily, not so much because she hadn't uh she didn't have any idea of what god had said but god didn't tell her directly so she was paraphrasing okay she paraphrased and she added to god's word okay we need to be better than that okay it's good to have a general idea of what god has said but it's great to know exactly what god has said Okay, and you can only do that by reading that book. Okay, you don't need to trust anything that I've said today. I implore you, do me a favor. Don't believe anything that I've said and go look it up for yourself. Be as the Bible says about the people from Berea, where Paul went and he preached to them. And they were so intrigued by what he said that they went and opened the scriptures for themselves to prove what he had said was true. Please do that. Please do that. Don't take my word for it. I studied it, sure. I could get it wrong. I don't think I got it wrong. I put a lot of study in this week. But, like, please, do me that favor. Go read it for yourself. See what God has said for yourself. Okay? And then let God speak to you the way he spoke to me about this topic. Okay? And we need to treat, we need to treat any preaching, any teaching that way. Okay? Because we want to know for ourselves what God has said. Okay? So that we can stand firm against the lies that come against what God has said. You can only do that if you do the work yourself. Okay? The second takeaway is that once we know, once we have learned, and once we have understood what God has said from his own word about himself, we need to filter everything that we see, everything that we hear, everything, uh, all scenarios, all situations in life. We need to filter it through what God has said. 
and we need to do the best that we can to walk in accordance to it. Okay? Now, I told you before, you know, it's, it's, it's so easy for us uh, to hear things like when we, when we are listening to music, okay, um, that we can easily just pick up because of the rhythms in the songs and, and the words that are being said, we can easily pick those things up and then be playing them back to ourselves by speaking them, by singing them, okay? And this is one of the subtleties of culture at large, okay? We go, we watch movies, we listen to, um, uh, we listen to songs on the radio, uh, we watch television programs, and how often do you turn around and think to yourself, all right, if the messages that are being declared to you through that song, through that movie, through that television show are true? How often do you think about that? How often do you think about how much it aligns with what God has said versus what you're just kind of allowing to go through your mind and then come right back out your mouth? Okay? Jimmy and I have had this discussion before, so I'll, I'll go ahead and... Um, I'll grind that axe with him this morning. Um, even the song that we sang this morning, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Okay. Great theology in that statement. The one thing that I theologically disagree with in that song is when the verse comes up and it says, my one defense is my righteousness. It's not my righteousness that I should be defending anything with. It's his righteousness. Okay? And when I sing that song, every time we get to that part, I am quick to replace that statement with his righteousness. That's my defense because if I go to God with my righteousness, I go to hell. But if I go with Jesus and his righteousness, I go to heaven to be with him. I am not standing on my righteousness for anything that is related to me standing before God. I cannot do that. It is not my righteousness that is good. Okay? The person that you see standing here before you is a product of what God has done through him, not him himself. I am not who you see standing before you. Not at, at, at the core all by myself, no. I'm only a product of what God has done through me and in me. Okay? So I do not stand on my righteousness. I stand on his righteousness. We need to understand that there is always going to be an attack coming from external forces, 
from external voices, I should say, there is going to always be the attack from internal voices as well. And we need to take control of those thoughts by understanding the truth about what God has said and casting those thoughts down. Because if we don't, if we are not intentional about that, we can very easily go astray. We can go left when we should be going right. And I don't want that to be the case for us. Our, uh, our great and wonderful God has provided this book of instruction to us. And it says in Joshua 1.8 uh, that we are, well, Joshua was, was given the instruction by God. Uh, to study this book of the law uh, continually and be and to meditate on it day and night and be careful to do everything that is written within it. And only then will we be successful and prosperous in everything that we do. That's what it says in Joshua 1.8. And I take that verse to heart because... The reality is that there is nothing, it, it, there's no person in this room right now, if I came up to you and asked you if you wanted to be successful, uh, would you say, nah, I'm going to pass on that successful stuff. I'm good admiring in, you know, low places. No, nobody's going to say that. No one's going to say that. Okay? Every person in here wants to be successful at something. And the reality is when God told Joshua that, that was instruction to us as well. If we would study this book continually and meditate on the words that are written within it day and night and be careful to obey the words that are written in it that we will be successful and prosperous not in some things not in a couple of things here and there but in everything there is no more uh uh there is no more powerful words in, in uh, all these self-help books. And, um, you know, there is no more of a powerful statement. There is no more of a relevant statement to an if and then that you will find in the Bible than that. If you will do that, you will be successful. But the challenge is are we going to do it? Like, are we going to be intentional about grabbing hold of this book, sitting down, praying to God to show us what he would have us to know, to understand, and to obey? That's where we need to be. So, I want you this week to take a little extra time. Take five minutes. Five minutes of no distraction. Five minutes of uh, no cell phone, no social media, no computer, no television, no nothing. Take five extra minutes to get alone with God and ask him what he wants to show you. Because God is always speaking. 
We're not always listening to his voice, though. Take that time. It can only benefit you. Take that intentional effort and turn it into a habit. Take that habit and turn it into a lifestyle. Take that lifestyle and take it to eternity. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you so much for giving us not only the instruction, but the warnings that come with the voice that we choose to follow. God, you've told us through your word, through the examples in your word, that there are many dissenting voices that will contradict what you say. But we pray and we ask that you would protect us by the truth of your word. Protect us in our minds. Protect us in our hearts from the lies that would come against what you say. God, we ask that you take your words and that you impress them upon our hearts so hard that they would stay locked deep within us and that they would be the outpouring and the results that come out in our lives. God, we pray. We pray that you would continue to work on us. Draw us close to you through prayer. Draw us close to you through the reading of your word. Draw us to greater understanding and take us to new heights as we serve you and as we seek to get to know you better. And Lord, we pray as we go out of this place today that you would help us to do all that you have called us to be and that we would in turn be a blessing to everyone around us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to AOCFnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.